Hi, everybody. I'm Jack Hanna. Since I was a boy, I've been fascinated with animals, especially their tireless work ethic. Just look at birds who gather supplies to build nests or penguins who travel up to 500 miles to secure food for their families. This work ethic is shared by our best friends, canines who perform life-saving work every day. Dogs comfort returning veterans. They work with diabetics, alerting them when there's a change in their blood chemistry. Working dogs are valuable in many ways. So please join me and American Humane in supporting our heroic working dogs. Go to AmericanHumane.org to learn more. Hi, everybody. I'm Jack Hanna. Since I was a boy, I've been fascinated with animals, especially their tireless work ethic. This work ethic is shared by our best friends, canines who perform life-saving work every day. So please join me and American Humane in supporting our heroic working dogs. Go to AmericanHumane.org to learn more. You're listening to Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM 650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne, a Town Square media station. For those in Florida, just continue to monitor too soon to talk specifics. John Cangelosi with the National Hurricane Center. There's concern at the site of a collapsed condominium complex in Surfside that the weather will again hamper rescue efforts. So far, 22 bodies have been pulled from the pile of debris. More than 125 people are missing. A peaceful end to an hours-long standoff. State police in Massachusetts say all of the heavily armed men who encountered police last night during a traffic stop have been taken into custody. Some of them were hiding out in a wooded area of Wakefield outside Boston. Police are now conducting a sweep of the two vehicles the nine men were in. Residents had been warned to stay inside with their doors locked. Officials in Southern California say the investigation into a catastrophic fireworks explosion is in its infancy. Michael Hoffman is a special agent with the ATF. What we are trying to do at this point uh, to support getting attention folks, stations to Fox uh, News Radio New York their looks like they're stepping to the microphone to shrink in the Surfside. Uh, that's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's going to speak first. Aware, the scene we now have you feed uh, on your own. On Wednesday, channel. 17 this is people the were hurt from when a planned explosion of illegal fireworks went horribly wrong. About 5,000 pounds of illegal fireworks were seized, along with other explosives. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. What are the most important issues facing Americans today? Every Monday, join me, Brett Baer, Chief Political Anchor and Anchor and Executive Editor of Special Report, and my rotating all-star panel of experts as we discuss the policies, practices and solutions to the biggest and most important issues of the day. You can hear new episodes every Monday. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Fox News Rundown is a weekday morning podcast that dives deep into the major and controversial stories of the day. Hosted by the anchors of Fox News Radio. Subscribe now to hear a perspective of news you won't find anywhere else. Listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A change of plans for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The Republican will not attend a rally featuring former President Trump. The governor's office says he spoke to Mr. Trump, who agreed he's needed in Surfside following the collapse of a condominium tower. Former President Donald Trump will appear at a rally held tonight in Sarasota, Florida at the fairgrounds. The rally starts in the afternoon with tailgating and Mr. Trump's remarks are scheduled to begin at 8 p.m. 
Local press noted Friday afternoon supporters of Trump had already lined up, hoping to be granted admission today. The former president is also scheduled to speak next weekend in Dallas at the second convention held this year by the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC. Fox's Eben Brown. President Biden is on his way to Traverse City, Michigan for appearances with Governor Gretchen Whitmer. They plan to tout progress in the fight against COVID-19. Americans are on the move. The TSA says nearly 2.2 million people were screened yesterday at U.S. airports, the most since the beginning of the pandemic. He's only been out of prison a few days, but Bill Cosby is planning his next move. Bill Cosby spokesperson Andrew Wyatt told the Philadelphia Inquirer that the newly freed comedian has been talking to a number of promoters and comedy club owners and is just excited the way the world is welcoming him back. Wyatt told Inside Edition promoters and comedy club owners have called him because he said people want to see him. Cosby was released from prison after serving nearly three years after dozens of women accused him of rape and sexual assault. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court decided a non-prosecution agreement struck with a previous prosecutor should have prevented him from being charged in the 2004 encounter with Andrea Constant. Cosby said he has always maintained his innocence. Fox's Michelle Polino. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News. Pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. If wisdom teeth come in properly and meet the right conditions, they are generally safe to keep. But left unchecked, they can put you at risk for gum disease, tooth decay, and damage to adjacent teeth. Some wisdom teeth grow in at such an angle that they never break through the gum, which can lead to tooth decay, gum disease, cysts, and tumors. These impacted teeth can only be seen on x-rays, so the damage they may cause can go undetected if they are not checked by a dental professional. Some people just don't have enough room for another tooth in their mouth so their wisdom teeth can affect adjacent teeth when they come in. This can make it difficult to chew, difficult to keep them all clean, and misalign your teeth. Not all wisdom teeth need to be removed, but they all do need to be monitored by an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. Find a surgeon near you for a complete examination. If your wisdom teeth do need to be removed, the procedure can be done in an office setting with minimal post-operative pain and swelling. Remember, pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. Find your local oral and maxillofacial surgeon at myoms.org. Good morning, good morning. Nick the Motor Guy back here on Cargab. Well, kind of back here because I'm actually going to take a bit of a break. I'm either sunning myself or out on a motorcycle or with a car or, you know, just taking a break from Cargab as much as I love it. I'm going to be doing some interviews today. There will be no calls in, but hopefully you enjoy hearing a few voices you may never have heard before or maybe some voices that you've heard before with new stories. Anyway, here we go. And today with me, I am proud as ever and all the way from Great Britain. And of course, many of you have heard my father, Hugh Dodson, with me over the years. Did our first Cargab show ever before the show even had a name way back in uh, November of 2007. I'm proud to have my father back on today and we can uh, have some... I don't know, some conversations. You may have heard these stories before, you may not have, but they're always fun, and one of the best parts is I get to record these, so that they're, they're down for posterity. Anyway, good morning, dear father. How are you? I am very well, and how very nice to hear you. I'm appalled to think how long the show has been going on. I very much remember, very happily, the first one we did, do you remember we sat in the car driving down to the studio and said 
What are we going to talk about? We really ought to do some planning. No, we didn't, and we still haven't. And of course, we did spend many hours over the last three minutes working out what we were going to talk about today, and we realized that, well, we're just going to do the same thing and have some fun with this, and that's what this is going to be about. So, you know... I want to go back. That first show, I wish it was recorded um, in some ways, although with my complete lack of ability in those days, not that it's improved greatly, um, probably a good thing it wasn't. But when what I am and what I have become in the car and motorcycle fanatic thing that is me, it, you do realize is entirely your fault. Oh, well, my back is broad, fortunately. I get blamed for everything. Oh, yes, you poor thing. I, I'm just sure, I'm sure my, my mother's in the background going, yes, oh, you poor thing. You, did you hear it? I, I, yeah, it was there. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> no, Nick, honestly, over, over the many years, whether it was sitting around the dining room table or whether it was going for miles and miles in the car, the one thing we never had a problem was is thinking about what we would talk about. Well, as um, as Shrek says about uh, Donkey, it's not getting him to talk that's the problem. Thinking <laughs> <laughs> of things to talk about on motorcycles and anything with engines and steam and railways and all the rest of it, there's so much to talk about. and It's all been such fun. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, and of course, where did your, what was your first memory of something automotive? And of course, it's strange that I've ended up, well, not strange, it's probably uh, fate that I ended up doing what I've done. But of course, your father was in the automotive, the trucking industry more, but he was involved in the industry when he worked. Uh, yeah, um, and it goes back even further. Um, he had a, a very hard time when he came home from India in the 1930s. Um, he'd been with um, two firms in, in uh, India, um, having been in the First World War, um, and there were no jobs here. So he, like his brothers, um, took himself off to India, and he worked for uh, an agricultural um, machinery company initially, who also imported um, Model T Fords in KD form. And KD form or CKD complete knockdown. So they basically, yeah. they came a they bit came like a power sports unit today. They come in a crate and you bolt them together, right? Absolutely. And I have got some pictures somewhere. Um, I think you may even have copies of them of the buffalo carts coming in with big boxes on the back and about an hour later there was a model t ford yep and the original kit car yeah and of course the the model t being the first production car on a production line although by the time it came in ckd it wasn't really a production line it was probably more of a large shed it, the, the shed was unbelievable it didn't even have a hard surface floor it was dirt yeah i <laughs> that's absolutely wonderful Anyway, the old boy, he did that first, and then he moved on and uh, became an agent for Dunlop. And uh, he came back to England in the mid-30s with a promise from Dunlop for an executive position, which they reneged on. Yep. So he, poor old thing, was, was out of work. And a very good friend of his, um, Dizzy Disternal, 
it was an ex-Royal Engineer, um, a much-decorated Royal Engineer officer. And one of the um, funniest people I've ever met. He was, uh, and just for people, I, I met uh, this family friend known as Dizzy. Um, and Dizzy was everything that an adult should be but shouldn't be um, to a seven-year-old child. He did all the misbehaving things which just delighted me as a kid, and I have great memories of him. <laughs> so have I. He was, a, he was another father to me. He taught me all terrible things, like sitting in the garden where they'd got a pond, and he'd get a bowl of cherries, and we would sit on the bench, and we had to spit the stones from the cherries into the pond. <laughs> <laughs> and we competed over this. And here was a man who was older than my father, actually, behaving like an absolute lunatic. Well, I always remember his dear wife, Phyllis, being absolutely horrified at the things he was teaching to my sister Izzy and myself. All you heard was, Eric, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> they, they lived in uh, a, a little town east of London called Loughton. And I used to go there when my sister was being taken back to school. I would have a lovely day uh, with them. And uh, as you went in the front door, the staircase went up to the second floor. And at the top, Phyllis had a little table with a, an arrangement of um, flowers and grasses and sort of feathers. And it was in a pot at the top. And Dizzy used to think it was tremendous fun if I stayed at the bottom <laughs> and he would get the grasses and he would hurl them down the stairs with the intention of spearing me. Yes, which of course was terribly, you know, um, uh, responsible. <laughs> Once it was done, of course, he ran out of... Out of Ammunition, fear. yes. But Phil, dear old Phyllis, she didn't understand the fact that if she then collected them and put them back in the pot with a, oh, Eric, as she always did. Then he had more ammunition. And this would go on for, for hours. <laughs> Tremendous fun. Anyway, he, he gave my father a job um, in what was called magpie engineering. And then came the war, and magpie engineering was given the contract to um, maintain um, delivery trucks uh, uh, distributing ammunition around uh, the London area, so they were—it was a reserved occupation, as they called it. So he didn't have to get back into the army, nor nor did Dizzy. So well, of course, they were—they were both pretty good age even then at, th at that point. Ah, uh, yeah. I, my father was born in um, 1898, so he was. Uh, he was 40, 40-ish when the war started. Yeah. Um, and Dizzy was probably 45, 46, a little bit older. Um, and they ran this business with a man who became my godfather, Hugh Blundell Hawks. Mm -hmm. And the three of them were juvenile delinquents. <laughs> they were appalling. Uh, I wonder where we got it from. Well, that was exactly what I was going to say to your listeners. Why is it not a surprise that you and I are as we are? <laughs> uh, they used to have um, a fleet of Humber one-ton trucks 
um, for delivering all this stuff. And of course, they, but because the, the services, particularly the army and the Black Act batteries, were in desperate need of ammunition constantly, the one-tonners were desperately overloaded. Yeah. Um, and they'd trundle off um, to the, the war sites with their loads um, and usually come back with either certainly broken springs and broken axles. So they were all pretty busy. Um, but the War Department wasn't satisfied that they were doing enough. So my father and Dizzy and, and Hugh Bluntle Hawks would be hauled off the, the workshop floor um, in East London and would be taken off to do fire watching. And that was where you stood on the top of a high building um, and looking out for where the incendiary bombs were being dropped on London. And if one of those actually ignited a fire, they had to phone and inform a central uh, authority who'd get the fire engines out there and the rescue people to try and help. Um, and he spent some pretty cold, miserable nights sitting up on what was then called the Board of Trade Building up by Charing Cross Station. Um, hours and hours of staying there, phoning in, saying oh, a whole number of incendiaries just been dropped over Shoreditch or wherever else, and directing the fire engines to get to it. Yeah, an incredibly important job. Well, it, it, yes, it was. I don't think they were ever really regarded as being anything other than, um, well, they're helping a bit. Well, that was that's so typical when you listen to history and you listen to folks who, and of course, most people are now longer no longer with us. Um, but they just counted it as part of being, uh, you know, the the typical British stiff upper lip almost. Well, they just got on with it. Yeah, it something that had to be done. Um, and I, if this was going to help the war effort, well, they all rallied round. And I, um, after the Battle of Britain in 1941, um, we, we, uh, my mother, my sister and I had been shafted off to um, uh, west, uh, a little town the west of England. And quite honestly, we knew nothing about the war. Nothing ever happened over there. Yeah. So it was all a bit of a mystery when poor old father traipsed down there to see us the occasional weekend and spent virtually his entire time fast asleep. He was absolutely knackered. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, uh, also probably both both mentally and physically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by, time, by 1943, there was some sort of thought, completely wrong as it happened, that the war was coming to an end. Yeah. And we were brought back to um, a village the, uh, on the east side of London, which was could not have been a worse choice, honestly. We had the wonderful North Weald Air Defence uh, RAF base just up the road from us, where the Spitfires and Hurricanes were constantly fighting off uh, the Germans coming in to bomb London. Yeah. And we were there... Um, as the V1s, the doodlebugs, and then the V2s arrived. And uh, I suppose one has to look at this. The fact it's really rather lucky that you're able to sit in America, because if I had been killed by the V2 that landed just up the road from us, 
No one would ever have known. No one would be very sad. Well, it would certainly, yes, appalling. And uh, I, I want to go back to that story here in a minute. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with more stories here on AM650 KGAB. They'll challenge your authority. They'll try to break your will. They'll push you to the edge of your sanity. Because that's what kids do. But this car is your territory, not theirs. Defend it. Who makes the payments? Who cleans it? Who drives it? You do. That's who. And in here, your word is law. So when you say you won't move until everyone's buckled up, you won't budge an inch until you hear that click. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup. There's no greater pain a parent can suffer than losing a child. And yet, heat stroke deaths in hot cars are on the rise. The temperature inside a vehicle can reach deadly levels in just a few minutes. Leaving windows cracked does not help. These preventable deaths can occur even when the outside temperature is as low as 57 degrees. Never leave your baby or child in a vehicle, even for a short period. And always check the back seat before you get out of the car. Where's baby? Look before you lock. For more information, go to nhtsa.gov forward slash heat stroke. And we're back on CarGab. Nick, the motor guy with a recorded show. And I'm very, again, very proud to have my father, Hugh Dodson, on. Uh, we were talking in the uh, break about uh, my grandfather and his, uh, his history in the automotive industry. And then a little bit of World War II, which unfortunately... Um, well, fortunately, unfortunately, but was a big part of many people's lives who grew up, grew up in Britain, such as such as yourself, including a rather rather close escape from uh, one of the uh, V twos. Correct? Yep. Um, January nineteen forty five. Um, Forty forty five. Nineteen forty five. No, right at the end. Right at the. It was right at the end. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of rockets coming out, sadly, um, from um, mostly from Holland. And the one that uh, nearly removed the family um, was... was, was what, a, what a way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, a more elegant way of saying you really snapped us out. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it uh, landed up the road. Uh, demolished a little church, um, took our roof off, took all our windows out, and, uh, well, we survived it. It was just one of those things, but it was, my God, it was a hell of a bang when it went off. I, I'm sure, I'm sure. That, that, that is a memory that never leaves. Uh, no, you'll remember that one. The other thing I must remember, too, also, is the fact that we had a cat at the time, <laughs> and the overpressure um, of the uh, warhead going off blew out the the windows and opened the back door and the cat who'd been asleep in the kitchen <laughs> felt itself obviously quite assaulted by this door suddenly bursting open rushed down the garden and proceeded to have the most appalling fight with next door's cat 
And all, all I can remember now is that a huge explosion and this cat fired. <laughs> <laughs> for things you remember. Obviously, uh, next door's cat was bl- blamed for the German rockets. Yeah, did you do that? <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, gee. that's wonderful. So. We we continue out of the war and into the late 40s, and of course you were at school, and my grandfather at that point went on to... He went to work for, for Guy Trucks and became the export manager, and then he went from Guy to Atkinson. Um, and these are names. A, these are name plates that won't be familiar to many people here in the states. Although, they one or other of them produced fire trucks at one stage, which may have come here. Is that right? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, Atkinson um, had some pretty big um, uh, chassis, um, and they went all over the world. Um, my father had a. A, a big contract in the war places, Ethiopia, and those trucks are still in existence. Um, some went to South America. My mother's connections in Argentina made that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but those names have all gone now. We we don't have trucks called uh, Guy and Atkinson and Foden. And They've all gone. And Dennis, um, right? Yeah, dear old Dennis in Guildford, who yeah. who made some of the finest fire engines and coaches you could wish to to travel in it's uh yeah i it was i really was the center of truck building i I, where uh it didn't really happen so much in america a lot of the trucks all around the world came out of britain and that was it was i mean this really was the uh, without being too rude but the last gasps of the british empire uh yes well, I think that's probably true. We we got ourselves, I think, as a nation into the the frame of mind that our empire would always buy whatever we produced and would pay for it. And slowly but surely, they realised that this may be a there's a better way of doing this: have industry um, in their own countries. So British Ford went to, to India, as I referred earlier. And factories are opened all over the place, and then suddenly we found, hey, we're not getting any money. We're not selling these things. Yeah. And my father, as an export manager, um, was desperately looking for opportunities. Uh, he was going all over the world at that stage. Wonderful DC sixes, loved them. <laughs> Wonderful <laughs> old airplane. He absolutely loved being in a DC six. <laughs> And he he was flying to Canada, and um, he was up in Finland regularly, um, all over the place, trying to flog, quite honestly, trucks and cars to some degree, um, designs which had long since failed. Yeah. And you you know it as well as anyone, Nick, to what we did with the motorcycle industry. We just never developed. Well, no, we, we, uh, the British uh, industry was so poorly run at that point. We were relying on what were brilliant designs 30, 40, 50 years earlier, built on the same machinery from 30, 40, 50 years earlier. And uh, tolerances which were measured in the thousands then, once the machinery had all worn down, were now measured not quite in inches. That might be a little excessive, but it wasn't far off. 
Texas, what was carefully known as slop. <laughs> it's a horrible name, that. Yeah, don't worry about the knock. Yeah, don't worry about the knocks. Put a thicker oil in. Yeah, just put a little shim behind that bearing. It'll be all right. <laughs> it's it, terrible. It's a, I mean, the standard of some of that work that came out in the this, um, our post-war 45, early 50s, I, it was disgraceful. Yeah, it I really was. I thought that people would buy it because it was British. Yes, well, they did. That was the bad part. Um, some pe- uh, people still believed they were getting um, great engineering. I, and it's amazing how lo- it shows the brilliance of the original design. I, if we were to look at probably the longest living, which tragically, tragically, maybe not tragically, has finally met its demise. But the Royal Enfield Classic 350 and Classic 500, which actually are going to be replaced in six days, by a brand new engine um, that is directly related to the bullet from Royal Enfield in 1938 so that engine yep. lasted 81 years uh, that's absolutely fantastic <laughs> I mean, it, it, look at the the, um, the Mini the proper Mini not the BMW thing yes not our awful BMW thing that engine <laughs> came into being the year that I was born in 1937. Yep. And it was an 850 side valve, if I remember correctly. Or oh, flathead for the American audience. Yep, that's the one. And I, that was still in production, what, 10 years ago? Uh, 2000-ish, I think, so 20 years ago now. I think years. by 02, 03, I think it had pretty much disappeared. Although, who knows, there may be some country in Africa that's still bolting something together with an A-series. Well, remember what the Hindustan is. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a Hillman, isn't it, or is it a Humber? Uh, it's, it's an Austin, I think. Oh, is it? An, oh, that's an right. It's yeah. Or and they even made a version of it in um, Iran, which was based off the old Morris Oxford and Austin Cambridge. That's I remember right. exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that um, equipment that built it was precisely the equipment that had been in the British uh, workshops. Yeah, and, and <laughs> incredible, it's amazing. Well, we're going to take a we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hear more from you, more stories, more just well, we're just going to chat about the automotive industry and how it's. Uh, developed or not developed over the years but we'll be right back am 650 kgab
It was a goal that I wanted to achieve from the very beginning. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. I wasn't sure if I could do it. It was very hard for me, but the teachers, the counselors, they help you. One of the teachers was Miss Araceli. Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. Every single time I had a question, she'll put down whatever she's doing and she'll come over and she'll sit there with you until you get it. At age 47, with the help of his teacher, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. Getting your high school diploma, it is a life-changing experience. It really is. It catapults you to where you want to go. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. John, we can't keep putting this off. Okay, I'll clean the gutters. I'm talking about your dad. Well, what can we do? He wants to stay in his house. We can make his house safer. Yeah, I worry about the steps. Perfect world, there are no steps, but he does have steps. And that banister only goes halfway up. And all those little throw rugs are falls waiting to happen. So what about his prescription meds? If he forgets and takes them twice, he could get really dizzy. Right. We could get him one of those daily pill counters. And he should have some sturdy hand grips in the bathroom and shower. This is all easy to do. You know he's a proud guy. He's not going to take all our fussing lying down. That's the idea. For older people, falling and breaking a hip can be devastating. For more tips on making homes safer, visit orthoinfo.org slash falls. A message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and the Orthopedic Trauma Association. Now please clean the gutters. Just be careful on the ladder. Hey, this is Reba McIntyre. You know, over the years I've seen many people fall victim to drugs and alcohol. Sadly, some of them never recovered and some of them aren't here anymore. Drugs and alcohol not only negatively impact your career, but also your relationships, your finances, your health, and so much more. The good news is that we have choices, and you can choose to say yes to a drug-free lifestyle. And if you're suffering right now from addiction, please reach out for help. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Air Force. AM650, KJB, Nick the Motor Guy. Back here on Cargab, and this time I have a character for you. And when I say a character, I mean somebody who is larger than life. Not that old, but with lots and lots of history within Cheyenne with his family. We're going to chat a little bit about that. We're going to chat a little bit about some music. And if you know, when I talk about music, I probably have a bass player on the show. And if it's not PJ, it's got to be this guy. And this guy is Jeremy Royer. Hey, Jeremy, how's it going? Hey, Nick, I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about your history, because just a three, four weeks ago, we were trying to get some promotion going for the good old Diamond Horseshoe, that great cafe over on uh, South Greeley Highway, yeah. and we started to expand a little bit on your childhood, um, which was quite a long time ago. I mean, not... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not like talking to Max and saying prehistoric times, but it was a while ago. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> Max 
has fond memories of the French Revolution, and, uh, and we think that those are great. Well, of course he has fond memories. He probably has fond memories of 1066. <laughs> and as I've pointed out to him, how sad do you have to be as a nation when you are celebrating your last true military victory a thousand years ago? Well, um... Anyway, we, yeah. we, 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 we're not here to beat up Max or any other Frenchman who happens to be foolishly listening. Now, we, does, does everybody understand what's going on, that this is recorded? Um, yes, they do. I actually, uh, I actually expanded on that. I have a little intro where it says, don't call in because the people who are talking are just going to be hanging with me. So this is a, this is a different deal because I'm, I'm at home. I'm in my my atmosphere here i'm in my dark basement excellent with, and with I, my favorite refreshment even better uh, and so you pretty guitars and, and you've uh, even got your own green room i i it's blue oh it's blue whatever <laughs> <laughs> but yeah something like that yeah so, uh, so we are relaxing we don't have zoom going so if you're sitting around in your underwear i i don't want to know just leave it alone, Jeremy. I got leave it. Leave it alone for you. I want. I want to say. I'm oh, okay. Just for you. Uh, I, Shaft just, and everything. Excellent. I think. <laughs> As I said to Jeremy before we came on with this, um, I have no idea where this is going, and I apologize to folks right up front. The good <laughs> news is it's not live, so if it's really terrible, Matt, our fabulous engineer, who's going to actually listen to all this stuff, could go. Nope, I'm done with this. <laughs> So this may never see the light of day. This may be one of those cuts. You, you know what? In in the music business, there's a lot of those cuts. There are a lot of those cuts. But in the AM radio business, as long as we stay on the good side of the FCC, I think we're going to be just fine. I, I have memorized George Carlin's list of words we're not allowed to say. On yes, the and, and so don't go there. Stop yeah, it. Good. We got it. All right. So history lesson. History Who was your grandpa? My grandfather was Marv Royer, um, so he opened Mars Mobile Home Supply in Cheyenne. What uh, year was that? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would have been 59-ish, I think, 58, 59, somewhere in that neighborhood. He um, was from Littleton, Illinois, which is the little town on in, in Illinois that you almost can't find on a map. <laughs> um, and... Uh, sometime in the 40s, I did do the humidity. Okay. Uh, and so he needed a drier climate, and uh, Colorado it was. So they moved to Colorado, and uh, from there, my grandpa met my grandmother, and they got married, and he went to Korea. And after Korea, he was uh, a traveling salesman for a bit. Um and he sold mobile home and RV parts um, uh, out of the trunk of a car, basically. And he had this big sales area that went all the way up into Montana. And so they always gave him big sedans, and he drove around and, and uh, did that. And at some point in time in the late 1950s, they decided that they could do this better on their own. And um, he opened that shop there, and he was the first mobile home dealer in Cheyenne. Wow. Uh, some others came later. Uh, then they were delivering mobile homes on the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> uh, so they were really just a little aluminum house trailers. Yeah. And um, he stayed in the in the mobile home service business 
Uh, he quit dealing sometime. I don't remember. Some other fellows opened up. I think Bob Kidd opened a mobile home dealer up, and um, a handful of different guys came in and opened dealerships. And um, Grandpa just wasn't really a sales-driven guy. I mean, he's not he's not one of those make-the-hard-sale kind of guys. Right. And uh, so he quit doing that and just kept doing service work. And so I kind of grew up um, there. When I was born, we lived in a modular home behind the shop on South Greeley Highway. And uh, I just hung around the shop and I knew, you know, my earliest memories were crawling around the old trucks and things like that. Grandpa always had old cars and trucks and farm equipment out back. And um, and so, his favorite tractor, right? Oh, several tractors. So <laughs> he was a he was a tractor collector. He um, had Olivers and John Deere's and nine in Fords and eight in Fords, and and that's that's really when I was real small. Uh, that was my playground. Was climbing around in old dusty <laughs> trucks, and I'd come in uh, covered in rust and grease from my head to my toes. And, Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. And, of course, uh, lunch was occasionally had at a certain place in town, usually aboard a tractor, right? Well, and so this was after I had come back. We moved to California uh, in 87. Okay. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And after I came back, my grandmother had passed away and my parents had divorced. And I came back when I was about 15 years old and lived with Grandpa. And uh, that was, yeah, that was absolutely the thing. Uh, in summer times, too, when we'd come home to visit in the summer times, uh, Grandpa had uh, restored a Fordson Major diesel tractor, mm -hmm. English Ford diesel. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he would fire it up, and we'd jump on the fenders and ride down South Greeley Highway to the Diamond Horseshoe and, and have uh, lunch, breakfast, dinner. <laughs> 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 Now, at that point, you would have driven past a few other places. That would have, the A&W was still in business at that point? Uh, let's see. By the time I got back, I think Beef and Bird was gone. But uh, it was there when I was a young guy. So that yeah. was our spot. Uh, Grandpa would have coffee, and I'd get a root beer. And uh, we'd, we'd go down to the Beef and Bird there is what it was the called. The Beef and Bird. Yeah. And, of course, right just up the road from you was the Hatched Egg. Right which had also pretty well closed down by the 90s. Yeah, but I, I know it was closed down by the time I got here in 92 because there used to be all these cool cars parked across the front windows. I remember going over there and staring in the windows and thinking it must have been such a cool business when 85 was the main road. And um, that history being lost is so sad. Yeah, well, and, and just, you know, being able to basically open our windows in the summertime and and hear what was going on at the country motor speedway on a saturday night yeah absolutely absolutely and of but, course that continues it is the one of the oldest short tracks uh still operating in the country yeah um it is uh, it's uh, and i'm hoping at some point that we may have somebody from there on the show as well oh that would be excellent so we'll do we'll a little a bit of promotion for them and I think that they're going to be able to kick back in and have a good season this year is what uh, we're all hoping. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. And with the, I think with the success of things like Cruise Nights, uh, there's a lot of younger folk 
20s, 30s who are starting to find the delight of uh, their cars and the motorcycles. And maybe we're having a renaissance here. I don't know. But it does feel a little bit different to the way I felt about it just two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems... I, I may have been the last generation that was really raised around, uh, you know, the old big cars and big blocks and, and a lot of those kind of things. Um, your grandpa, dad, my uncles, everybody always had, you know, these great collections of cars. Um, and more for practical use, you know. Grandpa yeah. wasn't really a hot rodder. Uh, but he always had a big sedan for grandma to drive, and and um, <laughs> sedan or a wagon. Usually sedans uh -uh. by my time. Uh, I don't know if they had any wagons back when my father was small. They may have, um, but uh, by my time it was uh, Cadillacs and and Lincolns and things like that that were all from the seventies. That's yeah. There's pretty cool memories. Those were great cars. Well, Jeremy, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. We'll talk a little bit more about your history and your family's history, and it's a big part of uh, Cheyenne. I mean, the mobile home service. I remember clearly when I came to town. So we're going to chat about that more when we get back here. AM six fifty, KGAB. Hi, everybody. I'm Jack Hanna. Since I was a boy growing up on a farm in Tennessee. I've been fascinated with animals. I'm not only in awe of their beauty and kindness, but also their tireless work ethic. Just look at the birds who gather supplies to build nests, or Swiss foxes who work hard to provide for their young, or penguins who travel up to 500 miles to secure food for their families, or bush babies whose impressive jump allows them to navigate the trees in the wild in search of fruit. This remarkable work ethic is shared by our best friends, the canines. We know dogs as our wonderful pets at home, but because of their acute senses, they also perform life-saving work every day. Dogs keep us safe at airports. They comfort returning veterans, some of whom suffer from PTS. They work with diabetics, alerting them when there's a change in their blood chemistry. Working dogs have a variety of highly trained roles that contribute to society and help those in need. So please join me and American Humane in supporting our heroic working dogs and all the amazing animals on this planet we inhabit together. Go to AmericanHumane.org to learn more. I am a veteran. I lost both lakes in Vietnam. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. My victory was getting my benefits and a good education. DAV helps veterans of every generation get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran. I didn't want to admit it, but I have PTSD. So veterans can reach victories, great and small. My victory was finding help and learning that I wasn't alone. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. And we're back. Nick the Motor Guy with Jeremy Roy here on CarGab on AM650 KGAB. We've been chatting a little bit about Marv's Mobile Home Service, which was a... a, a a big part of uh, business here, right in Cheyenne, for many, many years. Started, you said the 50s, right? Yeah, uh, in, in the late 50s. Um, and I just don't remember exactly what year. Uh, but it was... They had bought a house and basically built the shop on the front of the house. I remember that. I remember going in there because when I came down, Brooks in my first place was a mobile home um, in the blighted trailer area uh, right behind the Diamond Horseshoe. That's where Brooke and I started out. Right. And I think we paid five grand for it. Um, and we borrowed all of that money right downstairs here in the American National Bank building. 
Um, and I didn't know anything about mobile homes, and I sure as heck didn't know anything about uh, when they went wrong. So I had to learn. And I remember going in to Marv's and talking, I'm assuming, to your granddad, an older gentleman who was always mega helpful when I went in. Yeah, what, what year was this that you had... Mid-90s, early to mid-90s. Mid-90s. So that would have been right about the time that they were transitioning out. They were retiring. And uh, my uncle, Gene, took over the shop. So Gene and Jan ran the shop up until uh, they retired here just a few years ago. Yeah, this would have been right around 93, 94. Right. Yeah, so that would have been, well, no, let's see. You would have probably seen Grandpa... Uh, Grandma died in 93. So you would have probably seen Grandpa. Yeah. Um, I say it was a, it was definitely an elderly gentleman who was down there. And I say he was, if I remember, he was slightly hard of hearing. And my accent was a lot stronger than it is today. And it was always quite an adventure. Yeah. No, he was. He didn't hear well. <laughs> 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 I, I think we were finally able to get him in hearing aids when he was... Oh, 87 or 88. Well, and and he really didn't ever like them. <laughs> uh, I, and I know a lot of people like that. My father is at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but have you noticed with people who are hard of hearing, particularly if they're related to you, particularly if they are like that? Well, particularly if they're your father. I found that. They don't hear well until you're muttering something under your breath, and then their hearing suddenly becomes magically restored. <laughs> Might be. There's probably something to that, especially depending on what it is. Uh, yeah, so of course, you know, you being the perfect child that you were never got caught like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those strange situations that my, you know, family was good, and my grandfather was definitely good, and, uh, and I just wasn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know where that came from exactly. Yes, yes. We only had a flair for the darker side of it. Yes, I, I think I was along those lines. My 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 sister w- w- was the good kid, and I was well. Uh, yeah, I wasn't, but we had fun, right? Uh, I had a blast. Um, my brother and I got into a debate about who was the good kid one time, prodded along by a distant relative of ours, and. Uh, well, either way, I probably shouldn't say on radio what my response was, but no, don't. I think we, <laughs> I think we resolved that it's a tie. Okay, excellent. <laughs> well, 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 left alone there, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, and you found music, and uh, that that will always change one's perception of things. It does. And, of course, that was my father's fault, too. That was your father's fault as well. So my father uh, with music, it's funny. Music and automotive, motorcycles, etc., do tend to just really go together. Um, uh, now, with music for my father, it was a fairly steady diet of uh, Wagner and classical music, which I, I I still absolutely love. Although I can't quite recite the uh, entire Wagner Ring cycle like I was able to at the age of eight. Well, you know, you're you're allowed to forget a few things. 
I'm sure he's listening and I'm sure he's shaking his head with disgust right now. <laughs> and that means next time he's over, we will be listening to him, which will be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll even come. I'll, I'll sit in with you. You'll sit in with me on that. Excellent. Excellent. So we'll uh, change it up a little bit because this is going to be heard over the uh, next few weeks as I take breaks and of course we're, we're, sta- we're sitting here uh, March the 24th things are opening up Mu- live music is uh, starting to happen uh, just last week uh, there was some, some great stuff going on and you are going to be uh, playing some gigs as uh, some of your friends correct? We are um yeah so we're mr bird the perfect <clears throat> excuse me i apparently have a dog barking here <laughs> we're mr bird and the perfect strangers of course and so we'll be booking some stuff this summer uh looks like most most things are going to get back going we're we're really hopeful uh that the midtown kicks off soon alice has been doing a great job Yep. And they've been booking pretty steady. Uh, the Terry Bison Ranch has been doing really well um, and has been booking real steady stuff. Yeah, they have. And uh, Friday nights on the plaza looks like that's going to be full speed ahead. So that's great news. Yeah. So, and depending on when this airs, <clears throat> I may or may not have an announcement about that, but I think it's still a secret. All right. Well, we can uh, hold on for that. And I know that uh, on the live weekends, I will be dragging you on when you're not on the road delivering gasoline. Absolutely. That'd be great. Or should I say passing gas? Passing gas. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, and uh, the Lincoln is reopening. Um, Looks like they're starting to get some steady shows. So that's pretty exciting and a great venue with a lot of people really haven't been able to enjoy yet. So, right. I, they, they are still very, very restricted in capacity, it looks like, but hopefully right. that will start to change. Uh, it, you know, the sooner the better. It looks like there's um, some new advisories, uh, according to the New York Times anyway. They're saying that three feet is, is more appropriate than six, and I, I expect uh, by summertime we'll have that down to zero feet which is probably where it belongs to yeah well and it's certainly where, but as they that quite honestly the the vaccine and whatever starts to starts to change things I, i'm just relieved to see things open i'm relieved to see people hopefully starting to find their lives again and certainly a big part of that for a lot of people is going to be live music being back yeah no i think that's good i saw a um i saw a meme on Facebook or something the other day that, that said uh, the real healing will start when live music starts again. I, I think there's something to that. Oh, I I couldn't agree more, and it's going to be such a relief uh, for the musicians who enjoy playing, but even more so for the musicians who have to play, because without their the venues for them to go and show their craft off in, they 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 don't have a living. They, that's true, and uh, obviously, I mean, like we discussed, I have a day job and and keep all those regular type things. But um, it's it's significant how much of a part of of my income this this was. Um, yep. So so to be able to play, to be able to go out and work, and and I would expect a lot of the musicians around town 
really haven't put the pen to paper and really thought about how much they're losing just on what's their kind of side hustle. Well, that and you also, know, and also just in skill level when you're not able to play yes you can still practice yes but there's nothing like actually performing to develop who you are as a performer and i'll find a, a bad habit for me is, is that i tend to operate a little bit better if i feel like i'm under some pressure like i gotta get this down for something yep and so it's hard to um it's hard to really keep motivated and and get things going right yeah, when you don't know when the, the next time you're actually going to be under the pressure to make it happen properly. Right. I understand totally. Well, Jeremy, we are going to uh, take another break here, and then we will come back. And in the future, what I hope to do with the show, and we chatted a little bit about this, but I'd like to announce to folks, uh, Jeremy, uh, we're going to try and get some musicians on in the future, do a few more of these. And uh, just expand the local music scene as part of Car Gab, because, well, quite honestly, I just want to do it, and it's fun. I think I've got a great list of people to have have you talked to that's great well we'll be doing that in the future but for today we'll leave it in there and thanks for your time i really appreciate it, jeremy you bet take care we'll be back am 650 kgab and we're back, AM650, KGAB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Cargab. And I'm really proud to have somebody with me who well, started as a business relationship, has kind of become a mentor and occasionally, hey, Nick, you got rose-tinted spectacles, which as business people, we all need those reminders. Um, my uh, good friend, Chris Fletcher, and Kozaki district manager for this region. Chris, thanks for coming on today with me. Oh, glad to, Nick. Uh, it's fun to, fun to have this uh, opportunity to chat with you and your fans. Well, you know, we, we one of the joys of people in our industry, be it cars or be it bikes, is most of us who end up in here for a length of time that we'll, we'll just leave it alone, but it's been a while for both of us, right? Yes, sir. Um, yeah. We're enthusiasts, and we do it, it because it just drags you in. It becomes really a great thing between the people you meet, the companies you get to work for. Uh, and quite honestly, and I tell people this all the time, when they ask me, what about this machine, what about that machine? And if it's a Kawasaki against everything else, I have to look at it and go, well, I bleed green, so I'm just warning you ahead of time. And Kawasaki not only produces a magnificent vehicle, but the people who are in the company and the company itself, in my opinion, are as good as anybody out there. Well, that's wonderful for you to say, Nick, and it's something that I feel pretty strongly with, too. And, um, you know, I, I liken it to a disease. You know, we all kind of <laughs> have this disease when we were kids. Um, I blame it on my father. So, uh, you know, but it's a, it's something that came into my life and it's stuck and it's never going away. So, and, you know, and having good relationships with our business partners, it's, like you were saying, it's just, it's fantastic. It's a, it makes it a really fun business. It really does. And your disease, and don't worry, I blame my father as well. Uh, so we're, we're alike in that one. But your disease has started pretty early age. Uh, why, why don't you tell us a bit about that? 
Yeah. Well, what I, I mean, I'd always loved bicycles. So growing up as a kid, I always had a bicycle, loved to ride in the dirt, loved to jump bicycles, all kinds of fun things like that. So it was like a, you know, with my dad having motorcycles, my brothers having motorcycles as I grew up. Um, you know, I just I came to liking to him at a very, I wouldn't say a young age, as it stands in concern versus some other sports and such, but boy, by 10, 10 the demolition will make age of 10, I was um, playing on motorcycles, and by 11 and 12, I had already had a couple, and was uh, riding them, taking them apart, rebuilding them, sometimes matching two motorcycles together to get one, and uh, you know, it was just, it was something that was, kept me very occupied as a kid, and uh, honestly, it kept me out of trouble. Yes, I think that, that that's a good piece of it. And the of course, while you were doing that, you didn't exactly have the intentions of doing this as, for a living, right? Oh, no. No, it was something. You kind of you think, oh, it'd be fun to work in doing this. But my head was so wrapped around just the, the joy of being able to get out and ride and hang out with friends and, and do those kinds of things. That, that was the first thing. And it wasn't until a little bit later in life that I kind of figured out, hey, this could be a career. <laughs> but it was almost by mistake when it happened, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, for me, it was. So, um, I just ended up from a young age, younger age, I ended up racing uh, motorcycles in the dirt, motocross, and, uh, you know, with that, it just, I, I can say that from 13, 14 on, it was part of my life, riding and racing motorcycles in the dirt. So, so, so we gotta, I got to put you on the line here. Were they always green? No, they were not. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Started out on the Chaparral 100 and ended up getting uh, Elsinore, Honda Elsinore 125, Honda Elsinore 50s, and uh, you know, kind of went from there. So you were a bit of a red guy, though. Uh, I would say a little bit, yeah, early on. <laughs> well, look, I, and rightly so. They, I mean, they are brilliant machines, but... Yeah, and they, they're a good engineering company, very similar. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, when did when did you first really become aware of Kawasaki, and uh, where did that come from? Uh, that was that was around 17, 18 years old. Um, and with that, you know, I just as I started racing more, I just liked the green. <laughs> you know, became uh, a fan of the green, some of the motorcycles that they had available, like, and you know, really, I started racing. KX500 at about 18. And, uh, that is a lunatic machine at any age, but at 18, that was a handful. It was a handful, and I was a scrawny little runt, so I was kind of, I could, I guess I could move it a little bit better than most of the guys at that time. <laughs> so you, you actually went to school for something entirely different, right? Yes, sir, I did. I did. Um, I went to school to be a uh, 
personal hygienist, and I was actually going on to be an orthodontist. And before I decided that school was just not in the cards for me, you might say. Yeah, yeah I, I'm thinking staring in people's mouths against hanging with uh, motorcyclists and cool machines. I know which one I'm with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't take much to get me to switch, that's for sure. And when I was in uh, school doing my training, I, that's where I, uh, I'd worked at a motorcycle dealership part-time, and actually I was racing bikes, and he was helping me with that, helping to sponsor me. So with that, I was involved in working in dealer, a dealership and, and getting to do what I wanted to do. So, you know, as, as far as part-time, it was just the ultimate job. So I really enjoyed that. Absolutely. I, I, and, I mean, it just kind of dragged you in. When, when did you first get the opportunity to go and work uh, for Kozaki Corporate? Because you, I mean, typical of so many people I've met with Kozaki Corporate over the last four or five years, once you become part of Kozaki, um, you, you don't leave. Fox News. Yeah, it, it, it is a company. It's more uh, family-oriented, you might say. That, you know, just everybody's really good to each other within the company. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you get a lot of support from different angles. And just a lot of solid people that just showed me that, wow, this is, this is a good company. They build good product. They're out there trying to do good things. And, and they reward your people for it. So, well, know, my counterparts and people that I was working with, it was, I, I was working with some 30, 40, and even 50 year in the industry people. And for the most part, most of those, their experiences were with Kawasaki that whole time. Which is incredible for a company that has been in the States now for only a little over 50 years. So they've had the same employees almost in their entire U.S. history. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's not something that you see in today's world, that's for sure. It, it really isn't. And you can tell. I mean, as a dealer for you, I mean, obviously, I pick up the phone and I, I call you and I, I always uh, get an answer. It may not always be what I want as an answer, but... It, I get the answers I need, and anybody I deal with, they're just they're just great people. And I I just want to make one point to everybody out there, and you've heard me say this before, but with Chris on, I'd like to reinforce it. One year ago, when everything got shut down, and power sports dealers like myself were in very very concerned about where we were going. The first company to make phone calls, and I received calls from Chris, and I got letters and emails from the CEO of the company saying, you're okay, we got you back. And they did something which no other company did, not to that extent, and certainly not that quickly. And I will be forever loyal and forever grateful because of that. Oh, that's very good to hear, sir. And that's, you know, I, I like that we, we panicked, of course. But, um, you know, within a short period of time, we quickly realized that, hey, uh, people are still buying bikes. People are still wanting to get out and spend time in nature, spend time with their families. And, and so that, you know, for us, we realized it fairly quickly yeah. and, you know, ended up redirecting and, and, you know, just trying to weather the storm and, and keep keep businesses rolling, keep our dealerships healthy, and, and move along. So and support your customers. 
And again, yeah. it, this is the joy of it. I, because we, because us as dealers know that we got a company like you at our backs, we can we can be there for the customers absolutely without a doubt that we've got the backing we need. And I, I I've been in business for twenty years now, and there's no company that's ever done like that like that for me. So wonderful! It's great. Thank you very much. Well, and Chris, of course, you're still enthusiastic. You still ride occasionally, right? Even between all I, this running around after these difficult dealers like myself. Yeah, boy, they're a handful, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I I, do joke. I tell people, well, you know, if I wanted to start riding dirt bikes like I used to, I'd probably have to get another job. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I'm working it out. I try to find time to balance it and... I love any minute I can spend on a dirt bike or a street bike, for that matter. So it's uh, just getting out and playing is a is a good thing for you. It's healthy. It's it. Uh, it's healthy it both physically and mentally. Certainly, certainly, and it and it helps to keep us motivated too. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I'm going to take a quick break here, and then we'll bring back in. Maybe we could talk about a couple of the new models headed our way, which have been announced already. Uh, Maybe a little bit about the uh, rebirth of the granddaddy of them all, the KLR 650. Oh, sure. We'll be right back. We'll be right back here. AM 650, KGAB. You're listening to Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM 650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne. A Town Square media station. Your update is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Your 4th of July weekend in southeast Wyoming will feature morning sunshine, clouds increasing Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Highs in the middle and upper 80s with lows upper 50s. Afternoon and early evening showers and storms possible both days with Monday, possibly seeing some more numerous storms, heavier rains into Monday afternoon and evening. Highs mid 80s, lows upper 50s. I'm day weather meteorologist. Don Watzel. AM650 KJB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on uh, Car Gab, Bike Gab right now with Chris Fletcher from Kawasaki, good friend, great mentor, great business partner for me at Sham Motorsports. And this segment, we are going to talk about a couple of machines, which one of them has been part of Kawasaki's motorcycle life, my motorcycle life, many riders' motorcycles' lives over the last oh, 30 plus years, and that would be the KLR650. Chris, it's pretty exciting. We finally got an updated KLR650 coming sometime in 2021. I'm I'm so excited for it. Yes, sir. Me too. It's it's one of those bikes. Um, they call it the Swiss Army Knife motorcycle, as in it, you can do just about anything in it. Um, and it's you know it's great for adventuring and heading from here, say like to the tip of South America. Um, um, you know. And tough as nails, easy to work on, simple. Uh, I mean, and now with the added advantage, the modernizations, some updates on braking and suspension, and probably the biggest one, finally, fuel injection. Yes, sir. There has been a lot of people waiting for this motorcycle to get some updates, and uh, and the nice thing about it is, with the model that they're releasing here shortly as a 2022 model year uh it's it's got a lot of those things that are taken care of and and the biggest feature i feel this bike has is its price tag um, you know, it, it's not a 
plus ten thousand dollar motorcycle. No, it's not. I, it's a lot of out there, and and this bike, you know, boy, it started out, and it was probably around thirty five, thirty nine, ninety nine, and it's you know at this point we're up around seven thousand dollars in this with this type of motorcycle with it coming in at a couple different variations. Well, we and you know we we've seen a lot of manufacturers climbing on this adventure bike wa- uh, wagon. Something that, quite honestly, Kawasaki with the KLR pretty much invented. Yes, there were others along the way, but the KLR is kind of the granddaddy of them all. And when I when it was discontinued in 2018, we were all pretty despondent about it, and we all wondered what it was going to be, what what was going to happen. And when you you guys announced the 2022 model, I was excited for the specs. But then when you announced that the price basically had not changed, I mean that that is incredible. It's going to give access to a great all-round machine that you can go across the world on for a very 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 reasonable price. Yeah, that's a fact, Nick. Um, yes, yeah, and that's the thing with this motorcycle. I've seen it uh, time and time again throughout my career that people did take these and ride them out around the world. And uh, I've seen them ride them up into Alaska and tour all over. So the nice thing is, is the motorcycle hasn't been changed changed dramatically over the years so boy wherever you go you're probably going to be able to find parts and pieces to to keep this thing on the road and not have any issue absolutely and it, again it, it just proves that it's something that uh, kawasaki's always been brilliant at they get it right early and they they then don't change a lot they just tweak it a little bit here and there and their their engineering is so good at the beginning that it's something which uh, will will grow with you yeah that's correct the, the changes are usually minimal and if it if anything it's just making it that much better yeah so it's been fun to see this motorcycle morph from its beginning in about uh, 1985, I think is 84. Yeah. I think with the original KL 600. KLR 600. You're, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I had one, um, and it, it was a great machine. It still had a Kickstarter on it as well, and that could be a bear, but that's another story. Yeah, that is. That is. <laughs> Well, and we go from what is, in no disrespect to Kawasaki or the KLR, but we go from fairly basic four-stroke engineering and then occasionally over the last 50 years, Kawasaki just decides to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater, lose its mind, and produce a bike which completely reinvents the industry. They did it with the H2, the original H1 and H2 triple cylinder two strokes. They did it again with the twin cam Z900 Z1s back through uh, the 70s. They did it again with the GPZ900Rs, um, the Top Gun bike, as so many people think of it and i and i think yet again with the zx um 11 in the early 90s which was the first really safe very very fast um high high high-end sport bike uh every time i've ridden one of those i've gone wow this change this changes but motorcycling right now and in 2015 kozaki did it again maybe you'd like to expand on that 
Sure, sure. Yeah, they, they're they one company that doesn't sit on their hands. They When they want to innovate and lead an industry, for the most part, um, they'll do that. And, and like you were saying, in 2025, they did that with the uh, H2, and they had an H2R, which these two came with a uh, one of the first production superchargers that is put on a motorcycle and and vastly or produced in in a fair amount of numbers let's say yeah, I mean, in 2015, I mean, it just turned everything on its head. And the first time I, I rode an H2 variant, it's not just the almighty power that it makes. It's where and how it does it. I mean, with a, a high-performance four-stroke engine, we've all been used to the fact that with twin camshafts, aggressive cam timing, etc., etc., you've got to rev them. You've got to get them to spin to find the exciting stuff. And when you do find that exciting stuff, wow, does this bike give back. It's just incredible. Well, we're going to take a break. We're going to be right back and chat with Chris Moore on the incredible H2 and the incredible engineering behind this motorcycle and behind this company, which does so many special things in our industry and way beyond. We'll be right back. AM650 KGAB. We're here early before they wake up. We stay late. We stay informed. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. We do this not because it's our job, but because this is about our veterans' lives. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. Hi, I'm IC. For many former servicemen and women with post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury, the battle doesn't always end when they come home. American Humane rescues animals needing forever homes and trains them to become free, life-saving service dogs for veterans in need. If you're a veteran or know a veteran struggling, go to AmericanHumane.org to learn about their Pups for Patriots program. Let's give our veterans a fighting chance. Nick the Motor Guy, back here on AM650 KGAB with uh, Chris Fletcher from Kawasaki. We've been talking about the 2015 H2 models, which have now morphed into many others. Chris, you were telling us a little bit about uh, what, what got Kawasaki's juices flowing to produce this model. They are, as far as manufacturers go, they are one that wants to produce a leader. I mean, they want to annihilate the competition when it comes to building um, bikes for racing. And that, you know, that carries down all the way down to the KXs, KX250, KX450. And it's just something that is in our DNA. And, you know, like you were mentioning, going back to uh, Z1 and 
the H, original H2s, they, it's just always been in them to want to lead an industry. Yeah, and they've always kind of been the ones like, yeah, we have the most powerful bike. And with the H2R, I, I'm not sure that's ever, I mean, admittedly, not a road bike. But it is a semi-production bike. It's built in significant numbers. Um, and we're talking horsepower of? In excess of 300. <laughs> it's just so completely insane. insane. <laughs> yeah, power to rate, weight ratio on that motorcycle, it, it's it's unheard of. I mean, it, as far as that goes, and uh, the numbers compare to uh, things like jets. Yeah. Cars or you know other things, it's it's insane. And just to hear one, I mean, not just the H two R, but even the regular H two series. I every every gish of folks. I mean, I've ridden these, and um, just every time you shift, you hear the 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 valves for the supercharged charger system whistle, and it is it is so addictive. I. I <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it, it encourages bad behavior. Oh, it's it has a feeling and sound similar to like an F F one race car. It does. Yeah, it's absolutely magnificent. And of course, we've gone from the H twos, and as they've developed them, we then had even the incredibly comfortable, very very versatile uh, touring quotation marks model in the H two SXSE. Yeah, I had the joy to have one of those in my garage for a while, and that that was a phenomenal motorcycle. But it's it could be an everyday rider. Absolutely, so, but you gave it back. I yeah, it was a work bike. Let's say <laughs> yeah, I have to give it back. Oh. It's probably better for my. Uh, safety and especially my driving record well yes the driving record is an issue and of course last yeah. year we got the h2 naked which added not only um the incredible supercharged engine but then some very original aggressive styling which is still and this is one of the things they've done so well with the h2 series there is absolutely no doubt what you are looking at you cannot confuse this with any other machine on the road no, it, you you can't. And when you see it, it's just it's it's an amazing piece of art. And uh, you know, hearing the supercharger, seeing it launch, it's it's just an incredible, fun fun piece of machinery. And the original H2s, of course, they had the H2, the H2 Carbon, and the H2R. There is an yes, H2 Carbon in my future. Thank you, uh, Chris, for uh, managing to uh, get us one of those. I'm incredibly excited. That should that should arrive at Shire Motorsports here within the next, oh, I'm hoping the next month or six weeks. That sounds about right. Yeah, those, um, those motorcycles are hand-built. And uh, that's that's since inception. That's how they've done it. Uh, they would end up build one builder starts on that motorcycle, and that builder completes the motorcycle. So it's a, it's a really interesting concept, in especially in a production driven business that we our world's turned into. Yeah, and it just shows the passion that uh, Kawasaki as a company has because of course really the power sports side for Kawasaki is relatively tiny when you look at the the company as a whole as Kawasaki Heavy Industries. Yes sir. And they're they are a global company and they, you know they love building helicopters, uh, turbine engines to power power plants, um, 
rail cars, uh, heavy equipment, down to string trimmers. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that Kawasaki was the first Japanese manufacturer way back in 1973 to have a manufacturing plant here in the U.S. And it is still here in Lincoln, Nebraska and growing bigger. That is correct, Nick. Yeah, they, um, they've, it's morphed over the, the time frame, and right now we're building a lot of side-by-side vehicles, ATV vehicles, uh, and personal watercraft vehicles out of that Lincoln, Nebraska plant. Uh, they've also, they're doing small engines for lawnmowers, and uh, next to that facility, they have a rail car company that is doing rail cars for all around the country, but specifically the New York City subway system. So many of you may well have ridden in a Kawasaki, even though you may never have been on a passport unit in your life. But if you haven't, you should try it because it's fun. And again, of course, one other thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't until I became more involved with Kawasaki through the dealership, is the tie-in with Boeing. Yeah, yeah, they're doing uh, plain fuselages, pieces, and parts for Boeing, and, and different other military contracts as well. But um, they, uh, they're also doing items for uh, the Space Center, Yeah, and they're involved in that as well. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Well, Chris, thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing your passion for the industry, for motorcycles as a whole, and for Kawasaki is a company, so I could not be more proud to be involved with all of you. And thanks for your time today. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you bringing me on your show, Nick. And it's it's been fun working with you. And I love what you're doing. And keep up the great work. We will. We're gonna we're gonna keep doing it together. Take care, my friend. Bye bye. Fantastic. Yeah. Bye.
Weather Update is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Your 4th of July weekend in southeast Wyoming will feature morning sunshine, clouds increasing Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Highs in the middle and upper 80s with lows upper 50s. Afternoon and early evening showers and storms possible both days with Monday, possibly seeing some more numerous storms, heavier rains into Monday afternoon and evening. Highs mid-80s, lows upper 50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. I expect it to be a lot easier. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. I didn't know what step to take next. I was transitioning from the military. I was a vehicle gunner. An avionics specialist. I was an MP, military police. My friends thought I could do anything. I missed my unit, my family. Playing with my daughter, I, I felt like a stranger. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't sleep. I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't have a clear sense of what to do next. I was too proud. And then I thought, if I'm going through this, other veterans have gone through it too, right? It started to open up. And it made a huge difference. So I reached out and I saw that I wasn't alone. Because before I was able to take on my next mission, I had to take on just taking care of myself. To find purpose. purpose. Go to maketheconnection.net to learn how other veterans have overcome the challenges of transitioning out of the military. Hannah complained of a headache. It was a rhabdomyosarcoma. Within a few days, Hannah was in treatment because we were told that the tumor was very aggressive. And it very quickly became clear that St. Jude was the ultimate place to be. So we've essentially put our lives in South Africa on hold. Incredibly blessed to be here. St. Jude is an asset to the world. The research that is developed here is offered freely to the rest of the medical world. The entire way that the place operates is just to give and to care. I think it's the kind of place that not only stands as a beacon for pediatric cancer, but I think it could teach the world a couple of lessons about how to treat people. And I think if those lessons could be learned, even in their most basic form, this world could be a better place. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. And 650 KGAB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Cargab. And with me today for the next segment, or next two or three segments maybe, Tim Joannidis, uh, a good friend and tremendous mentor, and of course somebody well-known in the Cheyenne and Wyoming area uh, for being the owner of many years of Halliday Motors. And uh, general, generally superb philanthropist, supporter of this community, and the... Uh, brain, the brains and the brawn almost behind Cars and Cigars, a wonderful car show which had its inaugural event back uh, back in September of 2020, and uh, we are going to be doing the second one this year. And so I thought we'd chat about that and see what Tim's been up to in his refirement, as he puts it. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. Actually, I'm doing better than I deserve, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> well, you were just complaining to me that you had to have your jacket on in the 55-degree uh, weather in Arizona, and I just want to say how sorry I feel for you. Well, it gave me an excuse to go out in the garage and, and uh, wipe down a couple of my classic cars that we got down here. So, actually, <laughs> I needed, 
It, it was good. It's all good. But I'm not. I'm not complaining. It's it's better than the weather you've been having in Cheyenne. That's for sure. Recently, but yes, indeed. Hopefully, by this weekend, it's supposed to be back in the upper 70s, and you can get back out on the golf course. Yeah, get on the golf course. Send some of that 70 degree weather. Well, actually, send some 60 degrees because if we got 70 degrees, Jim Casey's going to have GMCs floating down Westland. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I understand. I, I can, I can honestly say, I'm glad it wasn't there for that snowstorm. I, we, I've seen a lot of them over the years, but that time, looks like that was the daddy of them all. Uh, it was a biggie, but of course, I, as we spoke a little bit earlier, we were chatting. You would have still been the first one in the dealership. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. But, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's what we're, we're here to talk about today. But yeah, that's. That was part of the challenge. I just figured if I could get there, everybody else could get there, right? That was always my philosophy. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember when I first was working for you, someone said, you will never, ever beat Tim to the dealership, and I never did. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they call in, they say, well, you know, I can't get in. There's too much snow, whatever. I can't get out. I said, no problem. Well, I'll come out and get you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just come out and pick you up. And that single-mindedness is really what has created cars, um, cigars, and guitars. Because when you took me to lunch, um, a little, probably a little over a year ago, and said, "Hey, how about helping with this thing?" We uh, we, we really wondered if we could pull off a car show in a pandemic, but you assured me we could, and you did it. Well, there was never an option, I don't think. We just, uh, it wasn't about me or you or, quite frankly, it wasn't even about, you know, the car enthusiasts. It was more about trying to raise that money for those three charities that needed money. And we, yep. I feel really good that we all pulled together and we were able to overcome the obstacles and it was a very successful event. It was, and there was tremendous help from the entire committee and of course the IHEPA chapter here in Cheyenne who uh, worked their their tails off that day. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be doing it all again on yep. September the 11th of 21. That's, that feels like it's a ways away, but I, I know how these things can get out of hand. We're, we're, we're less than six months to get this show on the road. Yep. Well, as you know, we've been meeting since a week after the last event, so it's we've been preparing, and we rehashed everything that we did last year, and we, okay, what can we do better, and what can we do a little different, and make it uh, better for the car enthusiasts, and and for everybody involved, and I think we've come up with some great plans and some some nice modifications. You know, considering it was the first year last year, though, we did we did a heck of a job. We raised we netted thirty nine thousand dollars for three charities, you know, thirteen thousand each for Family Promise and Habitat for Humanity and Safe House. Each got a check for thirteen thousand dollars for off that that car show event. So it was a it definitely was a. Uh, it was a very, very much a success, but it doesn't mean we can't do better this year. And by the way, we don't want to forget to mention that it, this is all presented by our, our local HEPA Cowboy Chapter 211 here in Cheyenne. Absolutely, and uh, they, they're a huge part of this. And of course, we shouldn't also forget our major underwriter. Um, yes. Without our, our premier, under, yeah, our premier yeah, underwriter. We have, yeah, we've got a number of underwriters, but our premier underwriter, uh, and he signed a two-year agreement, so... Uh, matter of fact, I just talked to Sam this morning. But Charles, Sam Runyon and his staff with it, Charles Schwab here in Cheyenne is our. They're going to be our premier underwriter again this year. So it's a, 
and they were truly a blessing for us and and they got the checkbook out and they but in addition to that they had people there at the event helping out it was just a, it was just a wonderful event well, again, shows the strength of this community. Uh, how and uh, we both, well, all the committee, particularly yourself, got on the phones, rattled cages, opened doors, and people opened checkbooks and came to the event, made it the event it was. But absolutely, Sam and uh, his Charles Schwab folks, they they just did us proud. Yep, yep. And we had a we had a you know we had. Over thirty, you know, underwriters and sponsors, and I mean, they all they all stepped up, and uh, they, uh, you know, Sam and his group were the premier underwriters. But we had a lot of other folks there as well at other levels, and, and again, it was it was the combination of all that that, made, that all made it happen. And thanks to our generous sponsors and and underwriters, we uh, they were able to cover all of our overhead expenses. So all the entry fees and all the extra money we took in all went towards our our three charities. Yep. And of course, these stars were the cars. And when we got to the show, what a day. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, we had a little over 100, I believe, uh, really nice classic cars. And of course, this year, with no COVID going on, we're going to be able to increase that dramatically. But cars came in. We had people registering their cars from all over the front range, Colorado, Nebraska, other parts of Wyoming, of course, including Laramie County. I mean, some of these people trailered them in. They didn't want to drive them that far, and they put them on a nice trailer and brought them in. And, but we had a really nice variety of classic cars, and I think it really proves the theory that you and I have talked about many times. The love affair for the automobile hasn't gone away by any means. It's still it's still strong in this country. It is. And, uh, well, it was such a foundation for what yeah. this country is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Route 66 or the interstate system. Um, yeah. And as, as we've talked many times from the the, the 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 early days of the 20s and 30s into the heyday, what considered could be considered the heyday of the 50s. And for us more enthusiastic power people, certainly the 60s and early, early 70s. Right, right. Of course, that was my generation in, in the 60s. And I, I can't tell. I can tell you, but I can't share all the stories. <laughs> race, race, racing, street racing, you know, car, these, these high-performance uh, cars. But in any case, we uh, it was a great event. We had nice, you know, and it didn't, we had different types of cars. I mean, we had European models. We had Jaguars and, and uh, some other European models there, but we had a lot of good representation of uh, of General Motors products and Ford products and Chrysler products and we just had a little bit of everything and it was just and they were spread out nicely and the cars weren't you know crushed together and, and we've got enough room out there uh, we're going to probably be able to add at least another 50 to 75 cars this year with oh without with any idea. problem yeah and with the idea of growing it to another two or three hundred cars over the next couple of years as the as the event grows absolutely and then of course great entertainment supplied uh by uh mr bird and the perfect strangers uh who yeah. uh who uh, i got heck i think one of my great things was standing in on your deck at one point looking across all the cars mm -hmm. listening to the band playing and watching people in yeah. all different manners dancing between the cars it was just a great sight yeah yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and the food was tremendous. The, it yeah, was. the boys did a great job of 
one of these, we served tri-tip steaks. It wasn't a hot dog and hamburger event. So. <laughs> but, you know, for $100 a ticket, you expect to get more. And we provided it. And they got, they got nice entertainment. And they, had, uh, they got some free cigars that they chose to have a cigar out there. And, and by the way, the cigars didn't offend anybody. They were, were outside on 10 acres. And so yep. everybody, nobody, uh, everybody was cognizant of their space. And, and uh, if, if you wanted a cigar, you could do it. Yeah, without offending anybody, but Absolutely. more importantly, the like I say, the food was wonderful, and we had a lot of we had a lot of our you know a lot of different types of alcohol, non-alcoholic type of drinks. And so it was a it was really really a, a fun event. Our 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 motto was that or our theme was that that we wanted it to be the premier charity classic car show in the tri-state region. Automotive enthusiasts celebrating the motoring lifestyle and improving the community along the way. Yep, I think we were able to accomplish that. Oh, and I, th- I think it was just the start of it. I'm really, really excited for this year. And of course, yeah. we got some uh, some great things coming. And I, I don't know if we can even, if we finally got all the uh, paperwork back on that. But um, if we don't, we can announce that later. And there's some exciting news. Well, just to whet everybody's appetite, it looks like we're going to... Uh be uh, this is going to be a televised event this year. We're in the process of negotiations with three or four major uh, TV networks that have uh, automobile uh, programming, and uh, that they, they you know they, they specialize in automotive programming, classic car shows, and, and, and that kind of stuff. So we uh, looks like we're on the on the edge here, and we're, we should. I think by the next show, we'll be able to announce which which stations and what programs will be on. But it appears that we're gonna we're gonna be shooting this live out of the out of our event this year. So that's gonna really put us on the map. And I I really can't help but think that you know car enthusiasts are a different breed, as you know, <laughs> Nick. And somebody's gonna be sitting there in their in their garage or working on their car, watching this thing, or at their living room or whatever. Uh, or the neighborhood pub, and they're going to see this on TV. And say we got to go next year. Yep. <laughs> we're going to take, and we're going to take our car. You know, we're going to go and have some fun. We're going to go and see what these Wyoming guys are all about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it'll certainly be a lot of fun. Well, I, I thanks for your time today. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we hey. will bring you back in, and we'll talk Sounds to good. folks about how they can uh, get the car registered, because we'll take car yeah. registrations from, well, pretty much right away, right? Yeah, we're, we're just about, I don't, I'm not sure if the website's up, it will be any day now, I think. Yep. We'll, we, we should be in a position to start taking registrations early. And, and if you were there last year and attended, we're going to make the registration process a little a little, uh, a little faster for the ones that are going to pre-register this year that were there last year as well. Perfect. Well, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with Tim Joannidis here okay. on AM650 KGAB. Wonder if you should get tested for colorectal cancer? Well, it's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., and screening helps prevent it. So if you're 50 or older, it's time, even if it doesn't run in your family. Most often, colorectal cancer occurs in people with no family history. And it doesn't always cause symptoms, especially early on. So don't wait for symptoms to get tested. Screening helps prevent the disease by finding precancerous polyps so they can be removed. Remove the polyp, prevent the cancer. Screening also helps find colorectal cancer early when treatment works best. You might be thinking, oh no, not that test. But here's the thing, you have options. There's more than one screening test. Talk to your doctor to find the one that's right for you. 
No more excuses. If you're over 50, get tested because colorectal cancer screening really does save lives. A message from HHS and CDC's Screen for Life campaign. I'm a firefighter. A teacher. I'm a farmer. I'm a barber. A waitress. A mom. We're all part of your community. Every day we move in and out of each other's busy lives. It's easy to take for granted all the little moments that make up our every day. Some are good, others not so much. But that's life. It's when you experience a moment of uncertainty. Something or someone's behavior that doesn't seem quite right. These are the moments to take a pause. Because if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. It's not about paranoia. Or being afraid. It's about standing up and protecting our communities. One detail at a time. Because a lot of little details can become a pattern. We. 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 We trust our instincts. Just like you should. Because only you know what's not supposed to be in your everyday. So protect your everyday. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. And we're back, AM 650, KGAB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Cargab. And I'm really proud to have somebody with me who well, started the business relationship, has kind of become a mentor and occasionally, hey, Nick, you got rose-tinted spectacles, which as business people, we all need those reminders. Um, my uh, good friend, Chris Fletcher, and Kozaki district manager for this region. Chris, thanks for coming on today with me. Oh, glad to, Nick. Uh, it's fun to, fun to have this uh, opportunity to chat with you and your fans. Well, you know, we, we one of the joys of people in our industry, be it cars or be it bikes, is most of us who end up in here for a length of time that we'll, we'll just leave it alone, but it's been a while for both of us, right? Yes, sir. Um, yeah. We're enthusiasts, and we do it because it just drags you in. It becomes really a great thing between the people you meet, the companies you get to work for. Uh, and quite honestly, and I tell people this all the time, when they ask me, what about this machine, what about that machine? And if it's a Kawasaki against everything else, I have to look at them and go, well, I bleed green, so I'm just warning you ahead of time. And Kawasaki not only produces a magnificent vehicle, but the people who are in the company and the company itself, in my opinion, are as good as anybody out there. Well, that's wonderful for you to say, Nick, and it's something that I feel pretty strongly with, too. And, um, you know, I, I liken it to a disease. You know, we all kind of <laughs> have this disease when we were kids. Um, I blame it on my father, so... Uh, you know, but it's a, it's something that came into my life and it's stuck and it's never going away. So, and, you know, and having good relationships with our business partners, it's, like you were saying, it's just, it's fantastic. It's a, it makes it a really fun business. It really does. And your disease, and don't worry, I blame my father as well. Uh, so we're, we're alike in that one, but your disease has started pretty early age. Uh, why, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, what I, I mean, I always loved bicycles. So growing up as a kid, I always had a bicycle, loved to ride in the dirt, loved to jump bicycles, all kinds of fun things like that. So it was like, a, you know, with my dad having motorcycles, uh, brothers having motorcycles as I grew up, um, you know, I just, I gained a liking to them at a very, I wouldn't say a young age as it, as it stands in concern it versus, uh, some other sports and such, but boy, by 10, 10, 
age of 10, I was um, playing on motorcycles, and by 11 and 12, I had already had a couple and was uh, riding them, taking them apart, rebuilding them, sometimes <laughs> mashing two motorcycles together to get one. And uh, you know, it was just, it was something that was kept me very occupied as a kid and honestly it kept me out of trouble so yes i think that, that that's a good piece of it and of course while you were doing that you didn't exactly have any intentions of doing this as for a living right oh no no it was something you kind of you think oh it'd be fun to work in doing this but my head was so wrapped around just the the joy of being able to get out and ride and hang out with friends and and do those kinds of things that that was the first thing and it wasn't until a little bit later in life that I kind of figured out, hey, this could be a career. <laughs> but it was almost by mistake when it happened, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, for me it was. So um, I just ended up from a young age, younger age, I ended up racing uh, motorcycles in the dirt, motocross. And, uh, you know, with that, it just, I, I can say that from 13, 14 on, it was a part of my life riding and racing motorcycles in the dirt. So, so, so we got. I got to put you on the line here. Were they always green? No, they weren't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> started out on a Chaparral 100 and ended up getting uh, Elsinore Honda Elsinore 125, yep. Honda Elsinore 50s, and uh, you know, kind of went from there. So you were a bit of a red guy then. Uh, I would say a little bit, yeah, early on. So. <laughs> well, look, I, and rightly so. They, I mean, they are brilliant machines, but... Yeah, yeah, they, they're a good engineering company, very similar to Kawasaki. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, when did, when did you first really become aware of Kawasaki, and uh, where did that come from? Uh, that, was, that was around 17, 18 years old. Um, and with that, you know, I just, as I started racing more, I just liked the green, <laughs> you know, became a, a fan of the green and some of the motorcycles that they had available, like, and, you know, really I, I started racing KX500s at about 18, and, uh... That and is a long. lunatic machine at any age, but at 18, that was a handful. It was a handful, and I was a scrawny little runt, so <laughs> I was kind of, I could, I guess I could move it a little bit better than most of the guys at that time. <laughs> so, you you actually went to school for something entirely different, right? Yes, sir, I did. I did. Um, I went to school to be a dental hygienist, and I was actually going on to be an orthodontist, and before I decided that school was just not in the cards for me you might say yeah yeah i i'm thinking staring in people's mouths against hanging with uh motorcyclists and cool machines i know which one i'm with yeah 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 it didn't take much to get me to switch that's for sure and when i was in uh school doing my training i that's where i uh, i'd worked at a motorcycle dealership part-time and actually I was racing bikes and he was helping me with that helping to sponsor me so with that I was involved in working in dealer, a dealership and and getting to do what I wanted to do so you know as, as far as part-time it was just the ultimate job so I really enjoyed that 
Absolutely. I, I, and, I mean, it just kind of dragged you in. When, when did you first get the opportunity to go and work uh, for Kozaki Corporate? Because you, I mean, typical of so many people I've met with Kozaki Corporate over the last four or five years, once you become part of Kozaki, um, you, you don't leave. Yeah, it is, it is a company. It's more uh, family oriented, you might say. That you know, tr- just everybody's really good to each other within the company, and uh, you know, it's it's you get a lot of support from different angles, mm-hmm. and just a lot of solid people that just showed me that wow, this is this is a good company. They build good product. They're out there trying to do good things, and and they reward your people for it. So. Well, my counterparts and people that I was working with, it was, I I was working with some 30, 40, and even 50 year in the industry people. And for the most part, most of those, their experiences were with Kawasaki that whole time. Which is incredible for a company that has been in the States now for only a little over 50 years. So they've had the same employees almost in their entire U.S. history. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's not something that you see in today's world, that's for sure. It, it really isn't. And you can tell. I mean, as a dealer for you, I mean, obviously, I pick up the phone and I, I call you and I, I always uh, get an answer. It may not always be what I want as an answer, but... I get the answers I need and anybody I deal with, they're just they're just great people. And I, I just want to make one point to everybody out there. And you've heard me say this before, but with Chris on, I'd like to reinforce it. One year ago, when everything got shut down and power sports dealers like myself were in very, very concerned about where we were going, the first company to make phone calls and i received calls from chris and i got letters and emails from the ceo of the company saying you're okay we got you back and they did something which no other company did not to that extent and certainly not that quickly and i will be forever loyal and forever grateful because of that oh that's very good to hear sir and that's you know i I like that we we panicked of course but, um, you know, within a short period of time, we quickly realized that, hey, uh, people are still buying bikes. People are still wanting to get out and spend time in nature, spend time with their families. And and so that, you know, for us, we realized it fairly quickly yeah. and, you know, ended up redirecting and, and you know, just trying to weather the storm and, and keep keep businesses rolling, keep our dealerships healthy and and move along. And support your customers. And again, yeah. this is the joy of it, I've, because we, because us as dealers know that we got a company like you at our backs, we can we can be there for the customers absolutely without a doubt that we've got the backing we need. And I, I I've been in business for twenty years now, and there's no company that's ever done like that like that for me. So wonderful! It's great. Thank you very much. Well, and Chris, of course, you're still enthusiastic. You still write occasionally, right? Even between all I, this running around after these difficult dealers like myself. Yeah, boy, they're a handful. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I, I do joke. I tell people, well, you know, if I wanted to start riding dirt bikes like I used to, I'd probably have to get another job. But, but yeah, it's um, I'm working it out. I try to find time to balance it and. I love any minute I can spend on a dirt bike or a street bike, for that matter. 
So it's uh, just getting out and playing is a is a good thing for you. It's healthy. It's it. Uh, it's healthy it both physically and mentally. Certainly, certainly, and it and it helps to keep us motivated too. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I'm going to take a quick break here, and then we'll bring you back in. Maybe we could talk about a couple of the new models he- headed our way, which have been announced already. Uh, maybe a little bit about the uh, rebirth of the granddaddy of them all, the KLR 650. So, oh, sure. We'll be right back. Good. We'll be right back here. AM 650 KGAB. We're all part of your community. We all play a role in keeping our community safe. So protect your every day. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. You're listening to Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM 650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne, a town square media station. The number of dead rises in Florida. I'm Pam Huso, Fox News. Our teams recovered two additional victims. Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava at the scene of the condominium tower collapse in Surfside. The number of confirmed victims now stands at 24. That's 188 accounted for and 124 unaccounted for. Complicating efforts to remove the rubble is the remainder of the building that's still standing and wobbling. Demolition workers are planning to bring it down tomorrow or Monday ahead of an approaching storm. The fear was that the hurricane may take the building down for us and take it down in the wrong direction, on top of the pile where we have victims. Surfside Mayor Charles Burkett. The approaching storm is Elsa, which has been downgraded to a tropical storm as it turns closer to Haiti and the Dominican Republic. There's about 70 mile per hour sustained winds. Uh, now the impacts from the storm, whether it's a strong tropical storm or a weak hurricane, uh, will begin affecting the Florida Keys and portions of the South Florida Peninsula. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Another high-rise building near the one in Surfside has been fully evacuated. Residents were ordered out yesterday from the Crestview Towers complex in North Miami Beach after it was deemed unsafe. A ransomware attack targeting about 200 businesses in the U.S. is being felt far and wide. Sweden's largest grocery store chain was forced to close all 800 of its stores after cash registers couldn't operate. The sophisticated attack that experts say was carried out by a group in Russia or Eastern Europe hijacked technology management software from a supplier based in Miami called Kaseya. The same group targeted a U.S. meat supplier earlier this year. America's listening to Fox News. July 4th is coming up, and Fox News Shop is having their biggest sale of the year. It's a perfect time to give the Fox News fan in your life the greatest gift of all, exclusive Fox News gear. Go to shop.foxnews.com to get 20% off on all your orders with code fox 4th now through July 5th. Shop bestsellers like the Fox News Stars and Stripes Socks, Fox and Friends Hats, the Five Tumblers, Gutfeld T-Shirts, and much more. Hurry and head to shop.foxnews.com to receive 20% off on all orders with code fox 4th now through July 5th. Due to overwhelming demand, we're extending our special Grateful Nation offer. We're giving all active military and veterans Fox Nation for free. 
for an entire year. Get the shows that celebrate our country and the people that serve and protect it. So if you haven't subscribed to Fox Nation, do it now because we're extending this special offer. If you're active military or a veteran, go to foxnation.com right now. Thank you for your service and your sacrifice and enjoy your free year of Fox New cases of the coronavirus are ticking up in the U.S. Johns Hopkins University says nearly 30,000 people tested positive yesterday. The Biden administration is certainly making a very big public push to get more Americans vaccinated. The CDC has given us a breakdown of where things stand with the vaccine, where it shows about 156 million Americans have been fully vaccinated, 181 million getting at least one dose, and close to 58% of adults 18 and older are fully vaccinated. The White House certainly wanted those numbers to be a bit higher than where they are right now. The president, though, insists that progress is being made. Fox's Mark Meredith. At this hour, President Biden is in Traverse City, Michigan, touting the gains made against COVID-19. Whether it's at the gas station or the supermarket, Americans are paying more for everyday items. House Democrat Dan Kildee tells Fox's Neil Cavuto the squeeze on consumers is real. We obviously always want to be concerned to try to manage the economy to avoid to avoid runaway inflation. I think there is a difference in terms of the experience we're having now and those past periods where, as you point out, there were structural problems in the economy. Some opponents to White House economic policy believe too much government spending could overheat the economy, causing a wild spike in prices. The speedy withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan is being questioned by people who have concerns about the Taliban regaining control. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill, who killed Osama bin Laden, was on Fox and Friends. When we do try to evacuate, which will take a number of weeks, we're going to need to probably put some more airborne assets in there to include troops. There's going to be more fighting. It's not a good idea to just completely withdraw and certainly a bad idea to give them a timeline. A small contingent of U.S. troops, about 650 or so, will remain in Afghanistan to protect the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. Pam Fuso, Fox News.